<laughs> All right. Well, with that excitement, welcome to Bible study, everybody. It's good to see you. It's, uh, glad you're here. Just going to take a few minutes to pray, and then we will get moving with the study proper. Father, thanks for uh, a place to gather, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. He's here. We ask that he'd have his way, and we'd be open. I just pray for uh, our hearts to be soft and our minds to be ready, and I pray that you would speak, that you would challenge, and ask God that we would be changed, because you're here and we're here. And so, have your way, God. I pray for your gifts to be in operation tonight. I pray, God, an anointing on the teaching, an anointing on your word. And I pray that we would be ready, ready, ready to receive all that you have for us. Speak. Speak, God. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. Yes. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. As you're opening, just a quick reminder, we have an interactive feature for Bible study. It's through a website, www.speakpipe.com. You go there, and we have a page there, slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. And so if you go to www.speakpipe.com, slash Monday Night Bible Study, uh, there's a button to toggle there, and you can leave us a message. It's like leaving voicemail. Uh, you can ask a question. You can give a comment. You can just say hello. You can do something silly. Whatever you want to do, we'd love to hear from you, and uh, we'll endeavor to play that at our next meeting. But we'd love to have you send us a message. Let us know you're there and that you're listening and where you're from. Uh, that'd be really nice. So think about it. You can even edit your message before you send it. So, uh, yeah, all kinds of features. Now, Aaron, now, do you listen to Monday Night Bible Study? Yes. Yeah. And when you're over in the country you're from? Yes. Now, now, do you hear that part that I just said? Yes, I do. Okay, so that does come through then. All right, all right, all right. So get on it. All right. Good. All right. Do you, do you hear that too, Tim, when I say that? Yeah, I've heard from you. I've heard from you. Yeah, we've heard from people. So I know. It's good. It's good to hear from people. Love that. Like a Monday night kinship to the Monday night Bible study? Yeah, yeah that'd be fun. That'd be great. All right, so uh, Exodus chapter 20, I need a volunteer to read verse 19. Exodus 20, 19. All right, so what happens in Exodus 20? Anybody know? Just look up ahead, up atop, where else this was. Something famous happens in Exodus 20. The Ten Commandments. Yes, Charlton Heston. I mean, is a, yeah. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So so Charlton Heston and, and the Ten Commandments, all in Exodus chapter twenty. 
And, uh, and if you compare that to Deuteronomy chapter 5, you get a little more, a little different detail uh, for this particular section that we're looking at. But uh, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. He comes down from the mountain. He's on the mountain of God. Uh, they had pretty much figured, uh, the first time he went up, they thought he was dead. Uh, all they could see was all kinds of thunderings and lightnings and all kinds of stuff going on. And so they are figuring he was dead already. But then he went back and he got another round of the ten. Comes on back down again. And it's kind of interesting their reaction to him. And again, Deuteronomy 5, 24 through 27 is a place you can look to see a little bit expanded version of this verse that we're looking at out of Exodus. And, but Moses coming down from the mountain and all that. Now, I've told you in the past about how you know, I lived in a place that people were very superstitious about thundering and lightning and how they considered that uh, we used to have to sit in school or in daycare or wherever it happened to be when I was just really young and and we were in class together or together as children but when it would thunder and lightning we'd have to sit quietly because God was doing his business that's what we were told and so we had this uh, it was a superstition that we had that was perpetuated through whoever was the teacher or whoever was leading what we were doing and so anytime it would thunder and lightning, all of us would sit quietly. And maybe it was just a ploy to get us to sit quietly, but uh, God's doing his business. So uh, we would wait it out. And then when he was done doing his business, we'd go back to whatever we were doing, either class or go back to playing or whatever happened to be going on that day. And we would go do that. Well, something like that is happening here. Now, these aren't little children, most of them. Uh, mainly adults, but something like that is going on. Uh, God had shown the people of Israel his greatness, his glory, um, and he had shown them that he speaks. And so when he speaks, they were afraid. Uh, they were afraid of the thunder and the lightning that was going on in the mountain. They were afraid of the voice of God that God speaks, that he's a God that speaks out of fire. He's a God that speaks out of the mountain. He's a God that speaks out of the thunder and the lightning. And he's the living God. In other words, their religion became something that was very real to them. It wasn't just an idea and it wasn't just a philosophy. But they had seen God do things. They had seen miracles. They had seen the Red Sea parted. They had seen Pharaoh. Uh, and Moses and Aaron have it out in public. In Egypt, they had been set free. They, had been, they were out going through the wilderness at this point, and they were being led. Remember how they're being led? By a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, and the fire lit the camp. And that's how they were being led across the wilderness. And every day something happened and they'd get up and they'd go collect food that was supernaturally appearing on the ground and they would make their food from it. They'd make manna. The manna would appear. And so that was going on. So there's all these supernatural things going on all around them, very practical things, helping them to do whatever they were doing, deliverance, power, anointing going across the wilderness, provision, all these things happening. 
Well, but Moses disappears up on a mountain for a while amidst the thundering and the lightnings, and he comes back down, and they make a discovery. Here's the discovery. You ready? God isn't just real. They, they kind of understood that. They got that part. He doesn't just do miracles because they, they understood that part too. In other words, they had a daily miracle happening. They had provision going on every single day. They had a light at night that was miraculous. They had a cloud during the day leading them, and they knew when to stop, and they knew when to go, and it was, it was very real to them. All those things were real. They had walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. They had experienced that. All these things were real. But what they discovered on this day was this. God wanted to talk to them. He wanted to have a relationship with them. Okay, in other words, he wasn't some far-off power. He wasn't some uh, without personality kind of generic power that was somehow benignly watching over them. But he was someone that wanted to be personally engaged with them and that scared them to the point their response was and you can read it in this verse here their response was they didn't want to talk to him okay they did not want to talk to him at all and you've seen this before like with little kids right like there's a little kid in church uh, Allison, all right, that she's really friendly in, with some people, but not with other people. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, you know, and I'm not picking on Allison. She's a little kid, right? And I was probably like that too when I was a little kid. But when I, I go to talk to her, she runs away, you know, or I'll go to or I'll go, you know, like, hey, you want to give me a high five? It took, it took weeks, right, or months. She finally slapped my hand one time, all right? Otherwise, she just runs away. And then after the first time she slapped my hand, you know what she did? She ran away, right? <laughs> right. All right, so, so we have some experience with this when it comes to little kids. Uh, they, they will, you know, they have their people that they feel comfortable with, but they have their people that they don't know. Think, think in terms of that, that they don't know. And so they're afraid. Well, I know these people were more than, you know, eight years old. I know that. I know they were more than five years old. I know they were more than six years old. These were grown people. These were adults. But they were having a similar reaction when their God made clear to them that he wanted to talk to them, that he wanted to have a relationship with them, that he was looking for more than just being the ambiguous, I'm going to take care of you, God in the sky. And as we do evangelism, some of you meet people, as you do evangelism, that don't like to think of God that way, and they get scared of that. Some of you meet people that uh, they don't want to hear about that part of who God is. They don't want to hear about the personal nature of God. They don't want to hear that he is engaged in their daily lives. Some people do. Some people love that stuff, and they, they, they've just never heard it before, and they want that kind of relationship with God. But there's other people that are afraid of that. 
They're scared of it. And, and that was the reaction these people had. They were afraid. God does talk to people. It's what they discovered here. And he lives among his people. And so their conclusion was, here was their conclusion, he's going to consume us. That was their conclusion. If you're reading Deuteronomy, they actually talk about that. They, they say he's going to consume us. In other words, if God speaks to us, here was their conclusion, it will be impossible to live. Now they made that up. Okay? They made that up. They, that's, that's what we call superstition in some ways. They just made it up. Yeah. No. Well, not really. But that, and that wasn't even anything that God had, had said. In other words, all they knew, most of these people, I mean, remember, they had been in Egypt for over 400 years. All right? They really didn't know much. Generations had come and gone. They, 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 the people that had been there were way dead. Yeah, I mean, you know, that, so here they were uh, coming out of Egypt into the wilderness. You got Moses. Moses has an experience with God. Aaron has an experience with God. Now, this is kind of interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. This is kind of interesting. Moses, how, how did God reveal himself to Moses? How did he call Moses? The, the bush that wasn't consumed, right? So there was a, a bush that had a fire in it that wasn't being consumed. It caught his attention, and he went over there, and God spoke to him through that. It did not kill him. And God even spoke to him in that moment and said, take your shoes off for the place where you are is holy ground. In other words, he instructed him. He gave him instru specific instruction about how to approach him, how to get closer. Because he, he didn't know. He, he'd been, he had been raised in the ways of... Egypt, but he was in no way a religious scholar. He was in no way, you know, raised in the ways of Jewish theology, all right? In no way. And so here he was. God instructed him, and God was using him to instruct the people. Aaron was being instructed. They were being taught as they were doing the things they were doing, as they were going through the things they were going through with Pharaoh. They were being taught as they went along. And God was doing this as in showing himself to be a God that, that cares about his people, wants to be near his people, and is instructive toward his people. Now, after all those experiences, somebody look at Hebrews 12.21. New Testament, Hebrews 12.21. Hebrews 12, 21, and stay in the New Testament. We're going to have you immediately turn to another verse. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. All right. Why? 
Why? Yeah, but but listen, listen. You know, it, we're we're thinking about this in terms of logic, right? Like we're looking at it like, oh well, they've had all these experiences; they shouldn't be feeling that way. And yet, when they were face to face with God, when they're face to face with the living God, that it, it did something. Look at look in the New Testament. Think about the um, the the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because it says that in the book of John, because John says he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay, but he obviously had a confidence in his relationship with Jesus, right? If you're going to pen, you refer to yourself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? And he's referring to himself that way. He was fairly confident in his relationship with Jesus, right? And so, so he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's confident in his relationship with Jesus, but you read at the beginning of the book of Revelation when he's in that vision on the island of Patmos and he sees Jesus and in that, that awesome vision of Jesus that he saw with the white hair and the sword coming out of his mouth. And the Bible says that he fell at his feet as a dead man. Now, that's the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's the disciple who rested his head on Jesus' chest at dinner. He reclined on him. That's how close he was to him. And yet, at that sight of his glory, at that sight, and he recognized it was Jesus. But at that sight, he fell at his feet as a dead man. And so, to be careful... Not to judge Moses too much, or even to judge these people too much. And really, that's not what we're learning here tonight. What we're going to learn is, is the response that God has toward us. Because like that, when, when Jesus, when John fell at his feet as a dead man, Jesus, you know, he, he didn't want that. He wasn't looking for that. That was just, that was John's response. Moses, it says that, well, he, he, he saw and he was so overcome by the vision and by what he was seeing, what he was physically experiencing, it says he began to tremble. But it must have been only momentary because you go, somebody look at 2 Corinthians 1.4. Second Corinthians 1.4. All right, so the idea is, is that whatever the situation, all right, whatever the circumstance, whatever it is that, that we're facing, there's a, there's a mechanism that God uses by his Holy Spirit that brings comfort to his people because he understands who we are. He understands that there are sometimes momentary lapses in whatever you want to call it, faith, confidence, peace, joy, uh, whatever, whatever it is, word you want to throw in there. There are momentary lapses to that, and yet we serve a God who has created and who has dedicated one of the, the members of the Trinity and called him the Comforter to be with us. And so there's something that God has provided for in our lives, that if Moses 
who had had all of these experiences leading up to that moment that is described here in Hebrews, that he would begin to tremble? Really? If that can happen to him, can there be lapses for us? Well, sure. But to me, more importantly than are there lapses, well, of course there's lapses, but more importantly than that, there's provision for those lapses in the comforter. And God brings comfort to us. And so these people began to make a deal uh, with Moses. Like they're, they're kind of dealing with him. And they, they said, Moses, speak to us yourself. That was their, their request of Moses. Because they didn't want God talking to them. They, they were calling out for Moses to, to speak. He says, if you will speak to us, then we will listen. And the word listen there is a compound word. It means, and some of you will recognize this, it means to hear and to do. That's what it means. And so as they're talking to Moses, they said, you speak to us. If you speak to us, if you speak to us, then we will hear and will do. What do you think the problem was? We know they're afraid, but why? I mean, what was driving that? What do you think? Why did they make it up? Why did they make up that if God spoke to them, they'd be consumed? Why did they make up that if God... Uh, you know, spoke directly to them that superstitiously that they were gonna it would be impossible to live. Why'd they make that up? Why? They want to do it. Well, they may not have wanted to do it. it takes them out of the What's that? It takes them out of the equation. If what? Okay, so so if if they're saying that this is gonna happen, they're gonna make it up. Well, then they don't need to respond, right? Okay. What else? Right. Right. So in their minds, again, we described as they're making this up. Right? But in their minds, this is what was going to happen. Why? Because they were disobedient. Why? Because they were rebellious. Why? Because they didn't do what they were told all the time. Why? Because they were doing what they wanted to do. Why? Because they were selfish. Why? And you go down the list. But they knew that. They understood that. They weren't pretending to be anything else. That's who they were. They were a rebellious people. They were a disobedient people. They were a people that had many, many faults. And, 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 yet, and yet, God had declared, God had shown, and God is continuing to prove over and over again to them that he loved them, he called them, and that they were his people. That was clear. He had shown that, he had, he had revealed that, and he was showing that time and time again. And yet, when it came down to, okay, well, God wants to communicate with you directly, oh, no, no, because we are X, Y, and Z. Well, they made that stuff up. They didn't make up the fact they were rebellious. They didn't make up the fact they were disobedient. They didn't make up the fact that they weren't living up to what God had called them to do. They didn't make any of that up. What they made up is his response to them. That's what they did make up. And that's what can, people continue to make up now. They, they, they make it up. Like, well, if I do this, oh, God, he's mad at me. Why do you think that? 
You ever talk to people on the street? You ever, you know, really just, just converse with people? It's like, yeah, well, you know, I do this, but God, he's got to be mad at me by now. You know, I've been doing this, this, and that. Well, why, do you, why do people believe that? Yeah, it can be. Strike me dead, right. You hear that? And we know that's not true. So, so what I'm, uh, uh, what I'm <laughs> so, so the reality of it is, <laughs> the, the, the reality of it is, all right, that a lot of things that people believe about God's reaction to them are false or they are made up or they're superstitious or they're driven by some other means now at this point there wasn't enough at least among these people there wasn't enough theological enough religious history for them to be able to draw from that so these are just ideas that they made up and so what you can conclude from that is that it's part of us in our human condition that when we're confronted with and, and by confronted, I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that it's brought before us in a powerful way. The living God is brought before us in a powerful way that there's something in us as human beings that will make stuff up about that. And that's what I, I want to conclude with that. In other words, I, I don't want to just, just say, oh, well, it's because of this tradition or it's because of, you know, this going down in our religious history or this is, you know, whatever that is. I don't want to go there because they didn't have that. These people didn't even, they didn't even know. Go ahead. Would putting a human response, a human characteristic on God's response. Absolutely. If this is what they would expect a ruler to do or, or people they deal with to treat them that way. So therefore, God being more powerful is just going to strike them dead. Or what they would do as a parent. Or, you know, not they'd strike their kids dead, but that the way they react in anger. Right, or, or whatever. But see, Moses didn't react that way to them, and he was leading them. All right? So they weren't really given that example by the godly leadership that was over them. Aaron wasn't treating them that way either. So they weren't being shown that in any way. It was just in here. And you may be right, maybe some of that's driven by their own anger or driven by their own fear are driven by their own reactions to whatever happens in their life or whatever that is I mean it could be you know maybe you know, and and people have this they have a really high high degree of justice you know like some people have a higher degree of justice than other people for some people it's like oh you know they see people being treated differently it drives them crazy but other people they see people being treated differently they could care less because they have a different sensibility about it. They have a sense, different sensibility about what is fair and what's not fair. Or what's just and what's not just. And so if you happen to be a person that has a high, high, that, that sensitivity to that, you have a high degree and understanding of justice in your life, then you're going to have a hard time with grace. You just are. You know, you think of like, the, the, um, the prodigal son, right, in the New Testament. People have trouble with that 
Because you got the one son that stays with his father the whole time. He's working the farm. He's doing what he's supposed to do. Everything's awesome with that. You got the young son, takes his inheritance, you know, whatever half of the inheritance he got, rolls off and just parties and runs out of money, ends up in a, a, a pigsty with nothing, eating on whatever's left over from the pigs, and then ends up crawling back home and... The father sees him and throws a big party for him and welcomes him back in as his son. The older son was irritated by that. Now, there's some people look at that story and they're like, oh, that's such an awesome story. He, he gets the son and he, he lets him back in again and he's restored. That, that's so great. Look at all that love. Look at all that mercy. Look at all that grace. They get really excited about it. But then there's other people who look at that story and it's like, well, that's not fair. The, old, the older son, he's there the whole time. He's faithful. He's doing what he's supposed to do. He's, you know, he's at the farm. He's, he's, he's fulfilling his duties as the older son. He got this kid just doing whatever he wants. He comes back and everything's okay then. They get really upset about it. I mean, the, in the story, the older son's upset, right? He's like, yeah, you know, the, he kind of has that sense about it. Well, he's the older son. He gets to do that. You don't. All right? And so and different people have different responses to that story. Or there's that story that Jesus tells. And again, we need to start thinking about why he's telling this story. About the people being hired to go work in the field. He goes out at 6 in the morning and he hires people. And he's like, I'm going to pay you whatever it was. I'm going to pay you a piece of silver. All right, and then three hours later, he goes back, 9 o'clock in the morning, he like, come on out in the field, work the rest of the day, I'll pay you a piece of silver. Same thing he's going to pay the other people. Then at noon, he goes out, he's like, all right, come on and work in the field, I'll give you a piece of silver for it. And then, then la the last straw, you ready? Five in the afternoon, one hour before quitting time. Like, come on out, work an hour in the field, I'll give you a piece of silver. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> That really irritates people. That one does. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you should. You got to examine that, though. Well, you got to examine that because there's a there's a sense of justice that some of us have that that's higher, you know. And we hold that compared to other people that wouldn't even think twice about that. They go, "Oh, that's great." Right. Right. And. I mean, I think, I think though, and yeah, and I think you look at something like that, and, and it's easy to get irritated or not, and realize that if you're irritated about it, there's a bunch of people that aren't. And then the reason that Jesus taught it was to scratch that irritation a little bit in some people. Say, hey, I'm going to poke you on this one. And, and remember the, the answer he gave, like the workers came and they're like, hey, you know, he, they get paid, and he gives them a the piece of silver. He's like, we're not going to get more? He's like, no, we agreed on a piece of silver, right? This is the guy that started at 6 in the morning. He worked 12 hours. Yeah, but, I mean, you hired that guy with an hour to go and gave him a piece of silver. I think we should get more now. Well, no, that wasn't the agreement. And so each, each group that came through that he hired along the way, he made his deal with them, and that was it. That was all there was to it until that last group, one hour to go, they got their piece of silver. They're probably the only ones there that weren't complaining about it. <laughs> you know? Seriously. Yeah, seriously. And so, 
And, and, and so I think, I think that, that we need to work on that a little bit. And I, I do want to encourage you toward that because I think if it's important enough for Jesus to teach on it and he knew that was going to irritate people, that there must be something he's trying to work on in us. If you, if you teach on something that obvious like that, that you know is going to irritate people, you're working on something. And that's what he's doing. He's working on us. He's working on that grace and he's working on that mercy in us that needs to exist. That, that here you have these people, and here's why it needs to exist. Follow me. Go back to the story. Back to where we were, okay? Follow me on this. They wouldn't draw near to God. They were afraid of him because of their high degree of justice. They judged themselves. In other words, I'm unworthy. I'm rebellious. I'm disobedient. I'm all of these things. And if God were to speak to me, I would die. That's what they believed. But that's not the God we serve. And so in order for us really, really to understand the God that we serve, we've got to let him change our minds about some things. Because we, we have a hard time. And, and we've had centuries of people making stuff up to somehow make sense of that high degree of justice that, that many of us have. You think about the people that are writing theology books they're not the guys going to work at 5 in the afternoon. They're the guys getting up at 6 a.m. and working all day. They're the ones that have that high degree of justice. And so a lot of our theology and a lot of the ways that we see God reflect that. But I don't know that it's accurate, all of it, to who God really is in our lives. And I'm not sitting here rewriting theology books. I'm just really suggesting that we serve a God who has shown himself to be ultra-merciful so many times that you just can't ignore it. Right. Salvation is the reward for both. Right. Whether it's an entire lifetime of of relationship or moments. Right. You know, that that's how I always that always struck me that way. Yeah, but people have a problem with that. Thief on the cross. Well thief thief on the cross. Thief on the cross. People want to argue, and we teach a, I teach a course every year for the interns. Good theology course. Got a book and everything and a test. All right? But I teach a, I teach a theology course. It talks about, and in the, in the book, it talks about how some segments of Christianity will argue that someone has to be baptized in order to be saved. 
And so much effort has been spent on arguing about this. Whether or not you have to be baptized in water, whether or not you have to do this, whether or not you have to do that, whether or not you have to participate in these things, or you have to participate in those things, or, or this or that, and they'll argue both sides of it, and it's such a waste of time. You know why? Thief on the cross. <laughs> Thief on the cross. I, I mean, I, you don't even have to be that smart, okay? Just, just follow along with me. Thief on the cross. What, was he baptized? No. Did he participate in any particular sacraments or anything before? No. How are we going to argue about this? You got a guy on the cross dying with Jesus. He's talking. They're discussing things. And Jesus says to him, behold, you will be with me today in paradise. Period. Why are we arguing about the rest of that stuff? Such a waste of time. Because we have a problem with that. That's why people have a problem with that thief on that cross or that malefactor, whatever he was, whatever he did. But the fact that he was on that cross with Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you're going to be with me today in paradise. People have a hard time with that. Well, you need to take that up with Jesus. Seriously, you need to take that up with Jesus because that's his grace. That's his mercy and that's his call. And that's who he is. And, and if you reach a point, somehow, someday, you don't have a problem with that, you're starting to understand grace and you're starting to understand who Jesus is. All right? Well, yeah, me, <laughs> me too. All right, me too. Because I, I, I am not fooled about who I am. Most of us aren't really. People kind of pretend certain ways and they pretend certain things. But around here, we're not too fooled about it. All right? Nah. Nah. All right? So, so grace is the, the thing. All right? That, that's, what, that's, that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen for all of us. That's what's happening for all of us is grace. You know, you can tell me how, what a great guy you are. I don't care. You can tell me you're the nicest person. Yeah, that's great. Good. You can tell me about all the times you volunteered doing whatever. I don't care. Yeah, good, 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 good. Let me encourage you. Be a nice person, all right? That's great. But that's not the answer to your spiritual need. It could be awesome. You could be helping people. It could be a positive use of your energy and your time. And whatever it is, that's good. Or whatever you want to call it. But it's not going to be the answer to your spiritual need. Jesus is that answer, and it's by his grace that we're going to experience it. And we're going to actually live in it. So, so what they were really looking for, oh, quick, somebody look at Galatians 3.19. i got to get us through this. You leaving? I'll be right back. Yeah, huh? <laughs> Galatians 3.19. Somebody? Alright, here's the real key to this. And I wanted to get this for the end of the session. 
The law was entrusted to who? What's the last word there? A mediator. What were the really what were the people really looking for? A mediator. They were looking for a go-between. That's what they were looking for. Because they didn't feel like they could do it and they could approach him and they could experience God themselves. Alright? That was that's what happened. And so they they're looking for a mediator. Because something became clear to them that I don't know is really clear through the ages, but it is clear now through Jesus. And here's what was clear to them that was reclarified through Jesus. You ready? That God not only saw what they were doing on the outside, he knew what was going on in their hearts. See, they got that. They got that. They, they figured, I mean, all these people figure, I mean, you can act a certain way. If you, if you really put your mind to it, you can act the way, you know, whatever way you're going to act. But that wasn't really the key. The problem wasn't what they were they're acting like. The problem was their hearts. You know, and that's that whole idea is like, you know, he sees the heart. Like, like what did Jesus describe it as? Murder. Murder's wrong, right? Well, but they understood that murder starts where? In here, when you start hating somebody, that's where murder starts. And that's what Jesus said. He's like, well, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. And he brought that back. They got it already. See, they, they understood at this point, somewhere it got lost, but Jesus brought it back around. So they knew, they like, yeah, yeah, we might be able to pretend, but that's not really what's important. What's going on in here is what's important. I mean, you think about like... Uh, what, what did uh, Jesus talk about? He talked about adultery. But where does that start? When you look on someone with lust, right? Yeah. Or, you know, and you start going through all the different things. See, this is, this is, it brings up the heart. And the heart is really the problem. And it was their problem. And they understood that that was their problem. That the God who sees our heart is the God who wants to speak to them. And they're afraid. And he said, Moses, you gotta you gotta step in for us, or else we're gonna die. And so there was a call for a mediator. Now what do you think about that? Yeah. Okay, first Timothy two five. There's Jesus. 1 Timothy 2 5, that's Jesus. But what do you think about their call for a mediator? Before you look at Jesus, I want you to, to think about this for just a second. Do you think the call for a mediator is healthy? Oh, and that, that's a valid question. That's why I'm asking it. I'm not looking for really any answer. Okay. Um, what do you think drives the call for a mediator in this case? Huh? Fear, right. Which is insecurity. So it's fear. So fear is driving the call. At least in their case. So I guess that could be healthy or unhealthy. There are certain fears that we have in our life that could be healthy. 
Like the one that keeps you from jumping in front of the train or something? Or jumping off the building? The one that keeps you from jumping in front of the bus? Right? The certain ones? Keeps you from touching the hot plate? All right? There's certain things that, that, that could be healthy, but there's also fears that are really, really super unhealthy too. And so I don't know that there's a really clear answer to this. Because uh, the fact is, driven by fear, I don't know that that's really the, the problem. What's the real problem here? It causes separation. Now the thing about Jesus as mediator is this. Follow. Who's Jesus? God. All right. So, so if you're going to look at Jesus as mediator, because he is mediator. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's what that verse says. Well, yeah, he is the mediator. But he's also God. Right. So there's no separation. Here's the problem with other mediators, though, and I want you to think about this. Because long after Jesus had proclaimed himself as the mediator between God and man, long after that we understood that there's salvation through Christ, long after we understood that there's grace and mercy, long after we understood that there's a gospel that calls us all into it, that's freely available to every person, long after we understood all of that, we had the story of the prodigal son, we have the story of the, the wages and, and the guy paying the guy and, and got that example of grace and mercy, long after we got all of those things, people were clamoring for what? What? More mediators. Right? Think about all the mediators that have existed in church history. All of them. Right? Mainly just people. But it's like we're constantly calling for a mediator. We're constantly calling for somebody to step in. We're constantly calling for somebody to stand in between us and God. That's the human condition, just like it was then. But what does that reveal? It reveals a lack of understanding about grace and mercy. Just what I was saying before. It separates us. It causes a separation between us and our God. And there's a real problem with that. So what's the, the key to everything I'm talking about here? The key is letting God deal with your justice. Letting him really deal with that part of you that's like that. I got a high sense and degree of justice, man. You ever drive with me? I will. I, I terrible, terrible, terrible. And that's something God has to deal with in me. Or, yeah, or, you know, it, you're the only person on the face of the earth. Go ahead. You know. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and funny, funny that God dealt with me one day when I was driving. I think you, I, I've told this story before. I was working at SU at the time, or... Maybe, I don't know if it was SU or if it was after I was already, I was coming down here. 
But I, I get on near my house. I get on 81, right in Mattydale, at the um, right on the on ramp there. You get on the highway, and then I just come straight down 81 to wherever I'm going down here. And there was one day, I I just got on the highway, and there were police like at the exit, but you know I, they were just sitting there. So I just went on, you know, whatever. And I got on the highway. And as I'm going down the highway, I realize I'm the only one on the highway. <laughs> There's nobody else on 81 South. Nobody. And so I look at a couple of the on-ramps, like by the mall, because I got down by the mall, you know, 7th North Street. There were cops blocking the on-ramp. I'm still going, you know. They're not blocking me, so I'm just, I just keep going. Get by the mall, there's cops blocking the on-ramp. Onto the thing. I mean, there are two cops just blocking the thing. So I'm going, going, going. Not one car on 81 South, just me. And so I get to my, the highway and all the rest of that stuff, and I, I go to where I'm going, and that's it. And I get off the highway. Well, I found out later that uh, Joe Biden was in town because mm -hmm. he was speaking at the Maxwell School of Citizenship. He's a graduate of there, and they had him in to speak. And because at the time he was the vice president, they had shut down 81 for his motorcade, right? But I had snuck on, not snuck, I mean, I just drove on, but the timing was just right. I was the last car, no, I was the last car let on from the airport exit. I was the last car that was let on the highway, and I was leading the way down 81 South with nobody else on it. I was the most important person on that road at that moment. <laughs> and, and, you know, God dealt with me about me saying stuff like what you're saying, Dave, because there I was. There I was. And, and, and it taught me something about that. And I, and I, uh, I the only reason I'm sharing that is because we have to be open to those kind of lessons in our life that when it's time for us to begin to change our hearts, begin to change our minds, there's a reason for that. God is not going to change you to be more judgmental. He's not. He's not going to make you more judgmental. He's not going to give you a keener sense of justice in your life in order to put other people down. He's not. But what he does change us toward is more grace and more mercy. And as we allow those changes to take place in us, we draw closer to him. And all those worries we have about, you know, what clamoring for this or looking for that mediator or whatever those things are. And I'm not talking about Jesus, all right? I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about humans. I'm talking about us thinking, wow, I can never stand before. I can never worship like that. I can never pray like that. I can never come before God like that. It, it, they begin to fade away. All those bad ideas that we have, all that stuff we make up, all that stuff about thinking, oh, God is this way or God is mean or that God is out for this or whatever, they begin to fade away. Because we really begin to live in and truly understand his mercy and his grace over our lives. 
these people didn't know. They didn't know anything. And so they made something up. We have so much more to draw from than they did. So much more. Plus all the teachings of Jesus, all the examples that we have, we have the indwelling of Jesus in us. We got so much more than what they were carrying here. Let's not find ourselves living in that degree of superstition in our lives. I mean, seriously. We don't have to live like that. We're offered so much more. Anybody want to ask a question or anything? Just take a moment. Well, what's funny about that is he didn't know that guy yeah. prior to that moment. I mean, they, they weren't friends or anything, but whatever was developed happened right there when they were both in agonizing pain, excruciating pain, sharing that moment in proximity to each other. That's when all that happened. Yeah. Well, the other guy was just mocking him. Right. Well, we don't even know. I mean, I assume. I don't yeah, maybe maybe he came around later. Who knows? Anybody else? Well, I think the it, something that, that Vinny had said about that idea of copping out, you can use that on a bunch of different levels with this. You can use that on a, a level of relationship. You can use that on a level of intimacy. You can use that on a level of being uh, somewhat responsive to what he's telling us and what he has for us. We can use that on a level of God's vision or call for our life. You can use that on a level of uh, him, his voice drawing us closer to himself, whatever. I mean, it, it is... We, if we want an excuse not to do something, not to be somebody, not to have a relationship, not to be friends, not to to draw near, wow, we, we can come up with a lot of reasons not to. Yeah, it could be. That mentality, you mean? You sent Moses to go get the word, and if it gets screwed up a little, and I don't get it right, well, it ain't my fault. 
right? What about, uh, I mean, this, you've heard me say this a bunch of times, too. There's always, there's always a thousand reasons not to do what God's told you to do. I, you come up with a thousand reasons. Bad time, bad place, bad circumstance, bad this, bad that. Somebody gave me bad information. I didn't know. I didn't see it. I didn't realize. I didn't, I, whatever. thousand reasons. And there's only ever one good reason. And that's because he said it. And if we can't reconcile that in our lives, or we can't come to a place where we're at least speaking to him, and he's speaking to us, and we have at least some level of intimacy, how we ever do anything. Yeah. Yeah. So... So I want to encourage you tonight, uh, we serve a God of mercy and grace, and I want to pray for you. Father, thanks for uh, loving us, and I thank you for, just to give us examples uh, throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, of how much you love your people, how much you love us, how much you love me, what kind of grace you show me, and what kind of mercy you show me, each of us. And so I want to say thanks for that. Thank you that you are faithful and that your love is way, 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 way bigger than we think it is. Your mercy is bigger than we think it is. Your grace is bigger than we really think it is. And I just ask you that you would begin to change our hearts and change our minds where they need to be changed. Begin to change the, the way we're seeing things where they need to be changed. Because God, we want to be close to you. And we really want to know you. And we're not looking to be driven by fear anymore, by worry, or by anxiety when it comes to you. But we're looking to be really motivated and really driven by love. So I pray that you teach us what that is. So thanks tonight. I pray that you'd have your way in our hearts, have your way in our minds. As you begin to change us, we allow that change to take place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.